Hello, everyone. It's Joyce Davis, Pen Lives Opinion Editor, and this is another Battleground PA. Once again, we have our trusted analyst, Rajette Harris, on the Democratic side, and Jeffrey Lord, who's standing in for the Republicans, and they're going to square off on some important issues. So stay tuned. We will be right back to begin yet another Battleground PA. This is Battleground PA, a pen live podcast discussing the issues that matter to Pennsylvanians and documenting the events in our state that will shape the battle for your vote in the 2020 presidential elections. Okay, we are back and ready to go. And if you would like to engage in the conversation, you can do so. Why don't you send us an email at topics at battlegroundpa.org. Or you can always check us out on Facebook or Twitter at Battleground PA. And this is indeed a battleground, and the battleground is heating up. Welcome, Rajette Harris. How are you doing today? I'm great. How are you? Okay. And Jeffrey Lord, our trusted Republican. How are you today, Jeffrey? I am just fine. Okay. Well, listen, guys, we got several things to talk about, important things from politics to disease to coronavirus. But we're going to start. I'm excited, or I think, because I think we're going to get an announcement shortly on who is Biden's VP pick. Now, we're hoping it's today, but it may not be today. But it looks like it's narrowed down to three choices, right, Rajette? Fill us in. It's exciting. I'm curious to see who he chooses. We'll finally have our complete slate. I do think that it's going to be someone to continue energizing the Democratic base and so that we can, you know, continue marching to victory November 3rd. But it's a decision we've all been waiting for for a while now. (laughs) Yeah, we have been. Now, I understand it's down to three, right? It's down to Senator Kamala Harris. It's down to California Representative Karen Bass. And I have to say my favorite, (laughs) Obama National Security Advisor Susan Rice. When I was in Washington, Susan was at the State Department and she was at a not at a high level. I mean, she was at a semi high level, but she certainly wasn't at the at the level that she had become with Obama's National Security Advisor. But she does have clearly a lot of experience, clear foreign policy experience. But some people are saying you need domestic experience. So what are your thoughts, Jeffrey? How is this looking to the Republicans? Well, first of all, I'm disappointed Rogette is not on the list. She should be. Um, <laughs> well, maybe I am. Remember, this is the list the media is putting out. So. That's right. That's right. Secondly, one of the things that you, and this is just sort of generic Republican or Democrat, think of Mike Pence as I'm saying this. You want to, and, and this is not the first by any stretch, generally there are two types of people that get nominated for vice president. And one, which is not the case this time, is well, sort of it is with Kamala Harris. One is a defeated opponent who's you know clearly got a serious base in in your party, and you know almost beat you or came close to beating you for for the nomination itself, so she that you have a, a unity ticket type of thing. She what? Gave, I'm sorry. She gave him a jab, <laughs> a left jab there in one of those debates, right? <laughs> right. That that's right. That's right. I don't think Kamala Harris had the political strength that, say, you know, say like a Lyndon Johnson did in 1960 for JFK or George H.W. Bush for Ronald Reagan, where, you know, they just went head to head to head in these primaries and, you know, somebody would win one primary and lose another. I I don't think she had that kind of strength, but nonetheless, she did run. 
And the other thing is, sometimes they want to go, and I, and I put Mike Pence in this category, who's not offensive to anybody, you know, who's just sort of vanilla and isn't going to accept, you know, upset constituency A, B, C, or D. So that said, what you've got to watch out for, I mean, I can just off the top of my head, Susan Rice and Benghazi, I mean, President Trump will be all over that if she is on the ticket. Karen Bass and, and support for Castro and all this kind of thing, that would make her a real liability. So I, I'm kind of thinking that Kamala Harris is probably, if this is the list, is probably his best choice here because she has been, as they say in the trade, vetted to some degree yeah, that, precisely that, 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 because well, she ran. To remember, too, though, everyone's going to have, if you, anyone who does anything and gets to a certain level, there's going to be something that someone can pick apart. And when you're a woman, you're picked apart even more. And when you're a woman of color, the picking apart goes goes even higher. <laughs> so we can't forget that. And I know you brought up Mike Pence a lot, but you have to remember Donald Trump was so new last time. So he chose someone that would sort of calm the nerves of the conservative establishment as well. We don't have that issue with Joe Biden because Republicans and Democrats all know him because he's worked with them for so many years. So to me, well, I do just, think I do think he has to have some appeal to the left side of his party. I mean, in other words, he needs somebody with Pence-like qualities, except appealing to the left. You know, the Bernie Sanders right. wing but and all, all that. But all of these thing. individuals are more moderate, like him, in a way. So he's almost doubling down on what his views are, if this is indeed the, the list. For instance, a Stacey Abrams would have been someone more to the left, a little bit more progressive. But all three of these women, if, if this is the list, though, all three of these women are very qualified. Obviously, uh, Susan Rice brings more foreign affairs experience, which was already mentioned. Um, Kamala Harris, being in the Senate, has those relationships with other senators to try to, you know, get some legislation through if she would be chosen. So, you know, I think any of the three would be a good choice. And there's some other names on the short list that were also leaked that I feel would also be a good uh, choice as well. Richard, who are those other names? Tell us. Uh, well, there is Tammy Duckworth. My mind's going uh, uh, blank a little bit here, but there are a couple other senators that were mentioned on the list as well. A couple other House representatives. To be honest, I don't play too much into the who is it going to be game. I just kind of wait for the, the actual announcement. Richard, but I am confident that the vice president is going to choose someone that's going to complement not only him, but the Democratic platform that was just released. So we there can is. start reaching out to voters. There is one other thing involved here in, in the Biden situation, precisely because I think Biden's health is going to be an issue, and I think he's already on record saying he only wants to serve one term. That's this about person would have, I would think, left in him, <laughs> right? And, really? And, and what? Thinking, I mean, he's about the same age. I mean, look at him too, right? I mean, well, I know, but 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 Biden, Biden clearly, I mean, and Trump has already said a version of this, but it's pretty clear to me. He does get confused. He doesn't know where he is on occasion. He, I mean, there's all these kind of problems. That's not true. That's not true. Well, it is true. I mean, I'm watching him. You know, when he says Arizona is a city, which he did the other day. I mean, this goes on and on and on and on and on. You know, where he's out there saying, 
he starts to quote the Declaration of Independence, and he says, yeah, yeah you know, the thing. This is going to be one incident like this after another, so therefore, but Jeffrey, but this person is going to be looked at as a possible successor. But Joe Biden has been known for doing gaps since he was 30. So let's be honest here. The fact that he's 70 doesn't change that. He's always had some type of gaffes. And he's also released medical reports showing that he is healthy and of sound mind. I know this is a narrative that the Republicans want to put out there. And you I bet. don't think the Trump <laughs> will believe it. But the, the American public is smarter than that. And to be honest, to say that anyone has any type of mental incapabilities when we have the president that we have right now is totally, um, <laughs> it's unbelievable, unbelievable to me. I mean, a lot of people think the same thing as our, our current president, except for he just kind of just talks and has absolutely no idea what he's talking about. I mean, how could he say <laughs> this week? Well, I wouldn't say week? that, but. You say this week that. We can have too much testing. How can you have too much testing for people to know what their health status is? This is the president that we have. These are the comments that he makes. I'm more concerned about that, and I believe other American voters will be as well. Well, I would disagree, but we will see. I mean, all of this will change in nature the the minute we have a name for Biden. And it sounds to me like it's next week and not this week. You know, as I see these news reports dribble out that people on his staff say, no, not this week. So but at some point we'll have it for sure. All right. Well, it's very clear, guys, that we're not going to necessarily agree on who's the vice presidential candidate, who's the best one. But it's important because we got to move on now to talk about the Franklin and Marshall poll. And it's uh, these numbers are have should have some concerns, frankly, for President Trump, Jeffrey. And I, I want you I'm, I'm sure you've had a chance to look over a little bit of the, the polling numbers. But, that, for example, what I'm seeing here should cause some alarm. Registered voters in the state say about 38 uh, percent of them say they believe President Trump is is doing an excellent job. That's not a very good number for a sitting president. What is that causing you any concern, Jeffrey? No. And, I, and I'll tell you, and I'm not just saying this about the F&M poll. And keep in mind for the audience that I myself am an F&M graduate. So I'm not about to diss my friend Terry Madonna and my own college's poll. I will say, though, that I do think that pollsters in general are having a problem because I think there are a lot of people out there that are pretty tight-lipped about all of this because they are, in one way or another, afraid to say who they're supporting. When you see all of the stuff on TV about, you know, Portland and on and on and on and on and violence and all this kind of thing and see stories that people wearing... uh, Make America Great hats are attacked and all this kind of stuff. I do think that there is an effect with this where when people get a call from a pollster, their first inclination is to just clam up or say what they think is acceptable, what the pollster wants, all of which throws off the poll. And I I do think that's a problem. Well, but the the numbers are out there. It looks like the majority of Republicans, 75 percent, still rate the president's performance positively. But it looks like everybody else. And that's a big problem. That's 75 percent. My point, another point here is the enthusiasm factor on the Republican side for the president is huge, is absolutely huge. I mean, I had seen polls that something like 90 some odd percent 
of Republicans think he's doing a great job. And and I would just suggest, and I think this was at play in 2016, that there is an enthusiasm or an intensity factor here on the Republican side that is going to really have people swarming the polls one way or another to vote for him. And I, I'm not sure that I sense that at all on the well, other side. That, I'm assuming the Democrats are feeling very good about this and, and about the enthusiasm associated with some of these Black Lives Matters protests that they are trying to now turn into voter uh, rallies. But but you've looked at these, these polling numbers. It does show that people are feeling a little bit concerned about their finances, which is what's supposed to be one of the strong suits of the president. But how are you viewing uh, these, these numbers for Pennsylvania? They're very encouraging. Now, I agree this is only a snapshot in, in time. A lot can, can happen between now and then, and we can't you know, live by the polls. But I would argue that the president and Republicans themselves are believing these, that there's some truth to these polls and that Vice President uh, Biden is ahead, uh, regardless if you think it's single digits or double digits. That's why he continues to change course on so many so many issues, the mask wearing, the coronavirus. He's even starting to change course with certain states as far as being able to vote by mail. It's okay for Florida, a state that he needs, but then it, it's not okay for, say, uh, Pennsylvania or another state. So you can tell that Republicans themselves are starting to believe these numbers, including those in the Senate. We talk about the presidency a lot, but this is going to be a huge, huge battle as far as which party is going to control the U.S. Senate. And I can't wait to see how that plays out. But these polling numbers are very encouraging. I know uh, here in Pennsylvania, we're doing all we can to make sure that Pennsylvania goes back to being blue for the vice president. Uh, so this is a great start. But, you know, we still have to make sure we get the vote out. Well, that's right. And speaking of getting the vote out, I mean, clearly, I think, Jeffrey, has the president changed his mind about mail-in voting? We, I, I noticed that there was a story with him honestly encouraging uh, people to mail in their votes in Florida. So let's talk a little bit about that. Is he, is he changing? Does he now feel that this could be a benefit for both Republicans and Democrats? I, I, I do think that he feels, and I think correctly so, that this is a potentially massive problem for the system. There is a vast, vast difference between sending out absentee ballots for people who request them and sending out mass mail ballots to every single person. I mean, the, the, remembering that there's 50 different ways of holding these elections, right? You've got 50 states and they all have their own set of rules. These places are going to be, uh, if, if it's all mail-in ballots, are going to be absolutely overwhelmed. I mean, right this minute, they still haven't figured out the New York congressional race, or I guess two congressional races. And that's just inter-party. That's just Democrats only. And the whole thing is a mess. Yeah, but we had that problem even without mail-in voting before. <laughs> but 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 the reason I ask is because here he in in this interview at least that I'm looking at it says he called he claimed Florida's system is safe and secure and he encouraged Floridians to vote by mail. And he says you know that there's no doesn't seem to be a problem with it. So. Is it going to be a, a location by location issue? Is that, you know, it would seem that way to me. Yes. Okay. Well, yeah, he's sugar. He's he's sugar picking what state he needs that he thinks he can win. You know, he's very known in Florida. He has properties in Florida. As we all know, Florida has a, a older population. 
There's a lot of seniors that tend to vote more Republican, and he thinks he might get their votes. I find it, I'm looking at the states he's choosing that he supports the, the vote by mail. And, and you know, the Florida is going to be key. And, and to backtrack for a second to our earlier conversation about vice presidential folks, if, if he picks Karen Bass, who is well out there praising Fidel Castro, Florida is the one state in the union where that would have a serious effect with the Cuban-American community. Well, I, you know what I think, though, hasn't she come out and said that that was that she basically apologized for that, said it wasn't as she attended, she wasn't trying yeah, to. Yeah, I don't think that's going to hold water, though. I mean, well, you know, who would have said this stuff in the first place? Taken out of context, um, and she did explain it, and they, you know, they showed the whole the whole quote. But again, no matter who the vice president chooses, you know, the Republicans are going to try to pick them apart. But the one thing that we have is we have a record of the president, of the vice president, and what this administration has done, especially with this coronavirus. I mean, for him to make comments with the interview with Axios just the other day about the deaths of the coronavirus, well, it is what it is. I have said many times on this podcast about his lack of empathy for the now, what, 150,000 people who have died in this country alone, and that doesn't count the people who have medical issues now because they received that virus. You know, that's what the American people are going to be looking at, not a comment someone made 20 years ago. Well, let me, let me just say we'll hold it right here. We'll take a break and we'll come back and I'll let Jeffrey Lord challenge whether the president is empathetic or not. So just stay tuned. We'll be right back. And we're back. And again, if you want to join this conversation, you can do so at Facebook or Twitter at Battleground PA, or you can send an email to topics at battlegroundpa.org. Now, listen, Jeffrey, Rajette does raise the point that was not a very nice statement to say it is what it is when people are dying from the coronavirus and people are sick and people are also worried that they, are they going to get it? at least some are worried it looks like some people aren't worried the more you're conservative are you the less worried you are the more liberal it seems the more worried you are but i mean that was not very nice right i mean how are no you I, I i don't agree it's just it's a statement of fact and i you know i frankly one of the things that exasperates me is uh this uh, sensitivity i mean saying the president for instance is not empathetic well i know him and I know, I think I've said this on air here before, when my mom was here, he would call me to ask, how is she? What's going on, et cetera. I mean, I just know for a fact, this is not so. But I also think that there's something going on here where where people just, you know, have this, I mean, it just drives me crazy, this sensitivity, sense of sensitivity, and always willing to take things as a slight you know, political correctness and all, all of that. I mean, this is a serious situation and you have to say, you have to say what it is. And, and frankly, when we have people in this country that want to take offense at calling the virus of the China virus, which is pretty standard procedure for labeling viruses and diseases in the history of this country and world and disease and all of that, Lyme disease, Marburg virus, West Nile virus, et cetera, I mean, this is this is pretty crazy. And the notion that we're somehow not supposed to offend the people who are the government, who not the people of China, but the government of China, that 
quite clearly knew what was up in the, in in uh, Wuhan and didn't tell the world, and the whole world is suffering because of it. That's a problem. Caring that someone died is not being overly sensitive. That's not being overly sensitive. And if that's the way the Republican Party wants to phrase people who care about life, isn't the Republican Party supposed to be the party of life? And then you just disregard yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, and that's a good. No, that's 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 that's. that's, that's no, but he that, is that's not a, that, being a party of life. That, that's a good point. I would, I would point out to you. Who died. That is, I would point I out to you that. I know you're going to deflect from the conversation and now go to abortion, which is fine, because that's what you do when you can't defend the president. <laughs> I actually I can't defend him either. <laughs> so I understand. But I do think we've had some conversations here about the importance of language and about the importance of being sensitive to our neighbors. And so I'll, I'll leave it there. I do think, and that's something that I've heard for in all of my, that we have to be sensitive, we have to be courteous, we have to be polite, and we have to be empathetic. We have to care about how we speak to each other. You know, here in Pennsylvania, you can vote by absentee, and now you can vote uh, by mail, which means people who don't have an excuse but need to vote by mail by whatever reason. They're, they are the same thing. This whole narrative where Republicans are trying to say that vote by mail is different from absentee voting is ridiculous. And it's also been debunked by pretty much every major news corporation and news station. It is the same thing. Not the ones I watch. The biggest difference is, is now in Pennsylvania, there's no excuse, meaning you can vote by mail even if you're not out of town or if you don't have a medical condition. Well, not only that, they're going to pay for the voting. I, I was surprised to see they're going to pay the postage, right? Yes, which they should. I was very happy to see that. Yeah, that was that was one of the big issues that I think we had. Some people just can't afford the stamp, right? But uh, but but let's talk now about uh, about the um, the concerns because one issue we have is that we're looking at schools reopening, right? And uh, I tell you, I did a Facebook Live yesterday with uh, with the head of, a, of the Harrisburg Academy, uh, with a teacher at Cumberland Valley and with a school board member in Harrisburg. And, you know, they all have basically different approaches to this. On, in some cases, there's going to be uh, you're going to have to decide at the beginning of the year whether you're going to come or whether you're going to stay at home. The other one, no, you'll at, at Harrisburg Academy, you can just decide whenever you can come or you can stay at home. But at Harrisburg, they're going to basically start online because people are just too concerned about spreading this virus. Now, I'll say this. Apparently, schools opened, what was it, in Alabama, I believe, and the first day one of the kids tested positive. Uh, no, it was Georgia. A second grader tested positive for COVID-19 after attending the first day of school. Now, I don't know how you guys are feeling about this one way or the other, but we've got some issues to deal with, right, Jeffrey, with regard to school openings? Well, I, I really think, I mean, first of all, the American educational system, which is superb, is localized. Yeah, we have a federal department of education and I'm not so sure we should, but basically Harrisburg runs Harrisburg schools. The school districts all around Pennsylvania and all around the country run the schools in their own area. And I think that's where the decision has to rest. You know, what, what are the teachers in that school district? What, what are the administrators? What do the parents want to do? And I think that's got to be their call and should be. 
Right. Well, I was I was just going to tell you, actually, Harrisburg is now in the state control of the school system and the, the city doesn't run it. It's a it's a separate thing. But but Rajet, I mean, what what are your thoughts on on this? I mean, there and, and the other thing that that we haven't talked about is how teachers apparently, especially if they're not unionized, don't have very much of a voice in this in some of the independent schools. Right. And and that's definitely a concern. Uh, the protection of the teachers, the, the administrative staff, the janitorial staff, all of the workers of the school, uh, because these, as we all know, children are less likely to get very sick from this, even though some have and some have passed, unfortunately, but they can pass it on to the adults in the schools. And I was watching an interview with Dr. Falsi yesterday, actually. And one of the things that he brought up is, of course, we all want the schools open, but we don't have the testing necessary to open the schools. I forget which country it was, but every child was tested before they went in. So you knew who had and who didn't. And this is why testing is so important. If you don't have the testing, then you could be putting people in a dangerous situation. But see, that's um, another thing. You, you're absolutely right. And the testing has to be rapid testing. You cannot yes. wait for two weeks to find out because then it's spread. But but even with that, Jeffrey, I mean, I know you said you had your, your cousin or something is a teacher. Can you imagine her walking into a school? And apparently at the beginning, you're going to have to at least take temperatures or monitor kids for, for a virus. Right. If one of the kids, just one, walks into a classroom and suddenly decides they want to give her a hug and they've got the coronavirus. Look at that. I mean, <laughs> do you see the risk that to me, it's just an incredible risk. Well, yeah. And that's why, and, and I haven't talked to her in a little bit, but I do understand from following the news that governor Cuomo is going to be making the decision here about what to do with New York city schools. And that's where she teaches right there in the middle of Manhattan. Um, so so that decision is going to have to be made. And one other thing, Joyce, and you touched on it here, and, and I just think we, we should bear this in mind. I don't know what the situation is with it here in Pennsylvania, but you see these stories about the teachers union. The, yeah. the one that that just got to me was out in Los Angeles, I think it was, where they the union put out a list of demands and it, and it was about things like uh defunding the police and medicare for all and say what i mean they're supposed to be concerned about the kids and and you know teaching classes this has devolved at least there into political issues that have absolutely nothing to do with schools and that's where i think you know that's just not good no, I don't think that's the case in Pennsylvania. I think in Pennsylvania, what the concern is, is that, you know, how are teachers and the, and the, and the staff being protected during this time? Or, you know, again, uh, Rajet, and I know you've always been big on making sure we balance the health issues with the economic issues, as you have too, Jeffrey. But it does seem to me like the economic issues are are, are, are running the ship, so to speak. I mean, it's like, the reason we're opening, the reason we're doing all of this is because we want to get the economy back to normal. We think things need to be normal with kids, but the virus isn't allowing normality, Roger. No, you're right. And ultimately, it's going to be the American citizen that decides when the economy reopens. And until this virus virus gets under control, I mean, we'll st- we're, we are still in the first wave. We didn't even get to the second wave yet. The economy is not going to be open. It's not going to be robust the way that it should be. Um, I personally feel as though states opened up too quickly. 
Um, I do like the way that Governor Wolf did it here in Pennsylvania in phases, depending on the number of cases that reported on a daily basis. I think he did what he could to try to balance the two, the public health aspect of it and, of course, reopening. Um, but when you talk about reopening schools, that takes it to a whole nother level. And yeah, I think exactly. we have to be very careful, very cautious. And we can't bow down to public pressure or political pressure because, you know, these are our children that we're dealing with. And not only can they get sick, but they can also, I mean, we've heard cases of whole families dying from this virus in certain states. Exactly. So, you know, and we have to take this very risk. seriously. And you know what? That's the risk that we take. And we had in that Facebook Live, we had one uh, woman write. She says that her granddaughter, who she's taking care of, apparently, is so worried that she will go to school and bring the virus back home and lose her grandmother, lose the person who's taking right. care of her. And, and, and Jeffrey, I mean, I do have to say that it does look like the Democratic governors have been a little bit more strict with that reopening than some of our Republican governors have been, and we're paying the price for it. Or, or am I wrong, Jeff? I wouldn't. I certainly would not agree with that. Definitely okay. not. Right. Uh, not. I, 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 I think, you know, these Democratic governors who put COVID patients in nursing homes, uh, what were they thinking? I mean, Andrew Cuomo alone, 32,000 dead New Yorkers because he put COVID patients in nursing homes. Governor Wolf did a version of this. I mean, other state, other Democratic governors have done a version of this. You know, I just, what in the world were you thinking? If it's not okay to reopen schools because you're concerned a child might get it and bring it home to grandma, it certainly isn't a good idea to put grandma in a place where she can definitely be exposed to it. Well, I think the nursing homes are a whole different uh, discussion. The nursing homes have problems, especially in Pennsylvania, many of them, with how they're run, with their staffing, with the issues there. That's a whole different thing from the general society and reopening of the economy and sending people back to school. I get what you're saying, and I think I agree, don't you, uh, Rajette, that we need to take a look at what happens with nursing homes. But that's, that is a unique issue aside from the economic and the social issues that we're talking about. Well, and it was also a lot of the nursing home situations happened in the very beginning before we knew exactly what this virus was, how it was transmitted. We didn't know that it affected people at a certain age more than those of a younger age. Well, I, um, I, I, so, and, and there have been reports, as we all know. I know Auditor General De Pasquale has done an audit of the nursing homes. Mm -hmm. So we, as you mentioned, <clears throat> we know that there are issues with nursing homes as as it is. So that should be looked at. But I think it's unfair to say that these governors, just because they're democratic, just threw seniors into a nursing home to get the virus. That was I, not the intent of that. Everywhere, how this was handled everywhere. And I know both Senator Toomey and Senator Casey have been on this issue of the failing nursing homes that had problems even before this. We always knew that the older people were vulnerable. We did know that. But what do you do when you've got nursing homes where people, the staffing isn't up to par, the, the facilities aren't up to par? It was just a, a ticking time bomb waiting for something like this to happen, unfortunately. And and I right. think there's going to be a problem, but I, I doubt 
Jeffrey, that it's going to be confined only to Democrats. <laughs> I think this is going to be a cross-the-board issue for the American people. Well, they and I would argue this people. is a general issue with our healthcare system as a whole. When you get a certain age, or even if you, say, have a certain disability, our healthcare system seems to sort of put you in some, types of, some type of institution, into some type of rehabilitation center. And the poor you are, and the poor are, the worse it is. Exactly, which is why, you know, bringing it back to 2020, you know, uh, Vice President Biden put forth a plan to put, you know, billions of dollars into allowing people with disabilities or allowing individuals who are older that might need a little bit more, <clears throat> more help or care to be able to stay at home where it is safer, where it's your own familiar, um, you know, your familiar area to stay at home to recuperate and to get well. So, well, you know, this all goes back to the healthcare debate and what needs to change within our healthcare system. Well, I know Jeffrey has also been very strong on saying that we do need a Republican health care plan, right? I mean, I we thought we were going to get one from the, from the president shortly, but is there any movement on a Republican version of what we should do to help people get health care? Yeah, I mean, I, I have to say I was very disappointed. I mean, I just felt that Republicans in Congress yeah. should have had this ready to go no matter the Republican. I mean, if they just assumed from the beginning of 2016 that the next president would be a Republican, they should have been ready no matter which one of those Republicans it was who was elected. It turns out it was Donald Trump. The day after he was inaugurated, they should have had a plan ready to go and they didn't have it. And that is something that really uh, bugs me, I have to say. I know you've made it very clear that. And frankly, I agree with you with that. I really do. But let, let's move on to our final topic that we have to talk about. And it's a positive one, right? And because we would all like to live on a positive, leave on a positive note. And that is, is the vaccine really near? Now, we've been all over. Again, I've talked to all kinds of people who've said there's no way you can get a vaccine within three years. Da, 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 da. But now it does look like, in addition to overseas, but here we have a third U.S. company that apparently has released study results showing its coronavirus vaccine is safe and elicits an immune response. And it looks like it's Novavax that's issued this latest uh, report. Now, guys, it does look like any of these, they're still looking at what the side effects are, right? Because it looks like that uh, there could be some some side effects for some people, and, and you have to really look at how this impacts people who have underlying conditions or other issues. But could this be our October surprise that might help the president, Jeffrey? Yeah, it's entirely possible. I mean, to be perfectly candid, you know what this reminds me of is, uh, and Rogette was not around for this, but uh, the race to the moon where President Kennedy stood up and said, you know, we're going we're to go to the moon. That's our goal by the end of the decade, et cetera. And every last uh, bit of the government and private sector that would be involved in that concentrated on space flight and eventually landing a man on the moon, which they did in 1969. This reminds me of that. I mean, except you've got all these private companies scrambling, and I do mean scrambling, yeah. to come up with this. And I think they will, somebody will for sure. 
it's entirely possible to me that they could have it in October. They could have it next month. Or, uh, But, I mean, politically, we're talking about could it be done before the election? I don't know, but you bet that just election or no, that these companies are out there uh, absolutely intent on finding a solution to this. And I think one of them, or, or if not more than one, will. Well, Rajette, we, we, we know that uh, the Russians last week said they had their Sputnik moment, that they've got the vaccine, but it looks like our folks are, are on it as well. I mean, is this giving you any hope or you still have some concerns about what would you? OK, let me put it this way. Would you get this vaccine, Rajette? Would you take it? <laughs> I would have to speak to my doctor first. Um, I think right. that it's I think it's best to. And, and Jeffrey, when you said I wasn't around for this. I was expecting something longer than 50 years. <laughs> you know, the whole book, <laughs> YouTube and all types of things. <laughs> I was expecting a, a longer period. Um, but I think if something with, regardless of when it comes out, I think that everyone needs to talk to their doctors. You know, we all have our, our own health care that we need to discuss with our doctor and see if it's something that's best for us to take. I just caution against rushing anything out. I, we're just going to have to yeah. modify our behavior until something comes out that benefits, you know, all groups. We know this virus affects people differently based on all types of things, not just age. So we, we just need to be careful. I understand everyone wants something now, but I, I just want to caution against rushing, rushing something out and make sure it's tested properly before Follow it's widely distributed. Follow, what, what do you say there, Jeffrey? Follow the science? Yes. There you go. There you go. So, so Jeffrey, you're, are you feeling like uh, this might be something positive? I'll tell you the reason why I asked, because I have heard, just as, as Rajette is saying, uh, people who are looking at this saying this is so outside of how long it normally takes to develop a safe vaccine. In fact, one person said it normally is not done for a decade of when you actually. Well, I think, that, I think that's true. I mean, that's why I made the comparison with the moon race, because I just think that, that there is a national focus on this, that there isn't anybody, whether they're in the medical field or not, that isn't concerned about this, and they want something done. And I think that the, the uh, you know, all the people who, who do have a responsibility, the pharmaceuticals, the research people, the scientists, etc. I mean, I think to a person, they are all spending their time trying to figure out how to do this. So uh, I, I, that's why I think this will happen much sooner than it would ordinarily. I, I hear you, and I'll, I'll tell you, I'll leave with one controversial statement, and I'll let you both uh, attack me for this, but I am really disappointed that I have not heard a comprehensive plan, a rally American plan from either the president or the president's opponent. By now, if I were running for president or were president, we would have announcements every day of here's our plan, here's what I need Americans to do, here's what I've assigned to the corporates, here's what I've assigned to our State Department. There would be a massive comprehensive plan to fight this war against coronavirus. I'm not hearing that from the president. I'm not hearing that from Joe Biden. What is wrong? Where's the leadership? Jeffrey, and then I'll let well, yeah, I, I mean, the president is damned if he does and damned if he doesn't. I'm not talking about damned if you do, damned if you do. I'm talking about what are you doing now to communicate what you're talking about? Here's what. Well, we're I'm watching. I'm watching at uh, five or six o'clock every night, and there he is, 
saying what what the latest is. He gives updates, uh, you know, what he wants yeah, I done, guess, I et cetera. Guess I guess higher standards. It's not what I would expect. But 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 uh, Rajat, where's Biden on this? He should have a, he should have his plan out there. It's gonna is it gonna be the same thing like it is with Trump and the Republicans that they don't like the health care plan, but they don't have a good one. Where is his plan for fighting this virus? Well, he does have a health care plan. He wants to add a public option to that. But if you're talking about the coronavirus, um, you know, to be fair, you know, the president is the one with the platform and in the position of power to actually implement a national plan. The one thing that Vice President Biden and the Democrat Party has been doing is obviously encouraging people to wear masks, the social distance. That's why everything, including the convention, is going to be virtual. All those who are delegates are encouraged not to go to Milwaukee, you know, and he's he's uh, one of the things that he's pushing for is testing. You know, the vice president wants more testing. He doesn't feel as though there isn't enough testing. And he also uh, discusses and talked about some of the doctors um, and scientists like Dr. Falsi that he would have brief him every day um, if elected. Um, So he does have. A plan out there, and we'll I understand. There. We'll end it there, but I, I'm just going to be honest. I'm disappointed at both sides. It, it just isn't what I would expect as an American. Look, it isn't what Americans expect who are looking at this. They really want someone on top of this, ready well, to Joyce, really like rapid-fire, comprehensive. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Joyce, there is there is one answer. I'll close on this. Okay. If Kanye, if Kanye West can run for president, you can do it. Go for it. <laughs> think so, but I could help him come up with a plan. All right. Well, see, I would agree with that, but I would replace Kanye West with Donald Trump. Oh. Here we go. We're going to end on a positive note and thank, at least we have hope that people are are struggling, rushing, trying to get a virus or or some way to try to battle this. But we're going to pick it up. Actually, we're going to pick it up on Friday in our Facebook Live. And you know what, guys? I might try to see if we can uh, maybe get... uh, uh, Terry Madonna to join us for that. We'll see. We'll see how it goes. But I want to thank you both again for joining me on another Battleground PA. You both fought hard, so thank you very much, and I look forward to seeing you again next week, okay? Thank you. All right. This was Battleground PA. Be sure to rate and subscribe to us so you don't miss a beat. Have an idea for an episode? Tweet us at Battleground PA or email us at topics at battlegroundpa.org. Meanwhile, stay in the know between episodes on PenLive.com. Battleground PA is hosted by PenLive's opinion editor, Joyce Davis, and is produced by Penn Studios director, Salim Michelle McClouf, and edited by Martin Boutros. More info and past episodes can be found at BattlegroundPA.org. <laughs>